Good evening, everyone. How are you all? Can I just move this out of the line? Maybe I'll put it this there. Oop, sorry, is that me? I'm using a new microphone tonight. I'm not used to this one. All right, so I'm glad we could all meet here again tonight. I, I had to miss last week, unfortunately. I got caught up with the Hendersons who have got COVID. We were a close contact, so I got to miss out on preaching my Good Sunday, my Easter Sunday sermon. But I'm here tonight, and you're going to get pretty much the same sermon, but I've had another week to think about it, so... I've added stuff in. So I don't actually like the term Easter Sunday. I prefer the term Resurrection Sunday because in the resurrection is the power of the message of Jesus. It's in the cross and the crucifixion that the work was done, that Jesus did the work of the cross. But it's in the resurrection that we have the power of our new life. But we're going to get into that a little bit later. What a great service we had around Easter most of you guys were able to come to at least one of the services. I could only go to the Easter Friday because of the COVID thing, but um, it was such a great time where we could meet together and focus in on the crucifixion of Jesus. And I really loved, I was talking to Charlene about it before, how Amanda used those videos and they sort of focused from a different perspective on the story around the crucifixion. Some of the people that, we don't have their stories in the Bible, it's all fictional, but it really gave you a different perspective on the events around there. And one of them was the Roman executioner. It really stuck out to me, and I've been thinking about it constantly since. He spoke about how normally when a criminal comes to be crucified on the cross, the first time they lay their hand down, they need two soldiers to hold that arm down on the cross while they drive in that first nail. But he was saying how with Jesus, he just willingly laid his arm down. And it just really hit home to me that this was a choice that Jesus made. He intentionally went there, willingly of his own accord, a decision made out of love. There's so much power in that story in, around Easter. And I want to recap some of those events over Easter to start tonight. And then I want to talk about the work and the power of the cross of Jesus. The work and the power of the cross of Jesus. Because Jesus has triumphed over death. So much was accomplished by that amazing act of love. The resurrection happened... The grave is now empty and our Saviour lives and has deserved power, glory and authority now, the right hand of the throne of God. talks about that in the first couple of chapters of Hebrews. Do you know that this um, last week I went through every book of the New Testament and nearly every single one speaks of the resurrection of Jesus, or at least the gospel, which Paul outlines as in he lived, he died for our sins and he was raised again and was witnessed by um, a heap of people. So nearly every book in the New Testament... Um, mentions the resurrection because it is the main event. The resurrection is what the whole Bible is leading to. And it's through the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have power. But I just wanted to pray before we started. So if we just can just bow our heads for a moment and just bring this before God. I thank you so much, Father, for these special days that we celebrated last week for Easter. We just want to acknowledge and remember that Jesus was willing to die for us, to die in our place of his own accord, out of his amazing love for us and his faithfulness to you. That day that sin was conquered and death was conquered and showed us that we too can have a victory over death. Help me today through all of my inadequacies to present your gospel message in a way that penetrates to the heart of all who are here and all online who are listening to this message. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. Do we have the slides working, guys? I just want to start with a quick review of the events of the Easter week. So in preparation um, for today, I was looking at some of the artwork around Easter that has been done over the time. So in order to review these events, I'm going to pop up artworks. This is the first one. And I was going to get everyone here to tell me what you think this part of the Easter story is. And online, you can um, type into the chat if you can beat the people in the auditorium about what you think this might be in that Easter week. What part of the Easter week do you think this was? Anyone? Oh, it's a tricky one. Betty, what do you got? Yeah. Peter and John were sent by Jesus to find a bloke with a water jug. And this is one of those stories, like I'd love those skit guys who did the, the Roman execution of the tell me this fella's story, because I've always wondered, how did he just have a whole room prepared for um, Jesus and 12 men? What's the story behind that? Did someone pull out at the last second? Did God come to him in a vision? I've often wondered about that, but we'll go on to the next one. If that's all right, James, can we flick over? I have some computer issues tonight, so there might be a few glitches here. Here we go. What do you reckon? Anyone? Just shout it out. Last Supper. Last Supper. And the thing about this that really stuck out to me, I was reading through Luke in preparation for this, is Jesus said that I eagerly desired to have this meal with my disciples. I eagerly desired it. I think this was probably the last good time Jesus had in that whole week. Everything else after this was a struggle and, and just a, a horrible time. But this, he could sit with his friends and enjoy a dinner and and just have a good time, the last good time he had on earth. Can we go to the next one? Hope you on the chat are beating these guys. They're a bit slow here. This is an easy one. Anyone? Yes. You know, I was thinking about this because, you know, during the, during the Passover meal, the disciples had this argument about who was the greatest. I wonder if Jesus was sitting there considering the washing of the feet at that time. You know, that. The disciples are all, oh, I'm going to be the greatest, I'm going to be the greatest. And Jesus was planning on bowing down before them and washing their feet, knowing all that was going to come. It's such an example for us that it's not about who is the greatest. It's the servant heart of our mighty God. You want to flick to the next one? There we go. What are we up to? Oh, that's right. That's another easy one. Yeah, Judas taking that money. What a terrible, terrible decision, but... It had to happen, hey. You got the next one? This will be a bit of an easy one. Anyone? The, what, did you, what did you say? No. Scotty? In the garden, that's it. Garden of Gethsemane. The, the disciples are sleeping and he's praying. And The last time I preached, I spoke about how Jesus often went off to solitary places to pray. And in his greatest moment is, is um, when he was facing the, the hardest part of his whole journey on this earth. He went and spent time with God. Yeah, such an awesome thing. Oh, here we go. This is the same story. Can you get what that one is? Peter's denial, Sarah. Well done. Yeah. Oh, here we go. I like this picture because it is a maliciousness to, you know what it is, Judas giving, betraying Jesus with the kiss. And you see that it's like a malicious kiss almost. You know, that, um, yeah, it's really quite an interesting picture, that one. We go on to the next one. This is the, the trial of Jesus standing before Pilate. Yeah, it really puts a human perspective to it, hey? You got the, the next one? 
This is, uh, can anyone guess this one? Barabbas, yeah. And I was reading this, um, I think it was an article, it was talking about how Barabbas is really an analogy for us. Barabbas was sentenced to death for stuff that he did. Like we are worthy of death for our sins. And through nothing that he did right, Jesus took his place and took his punishment while the crowd shouted, Barabbas, Jesus was crucified. Isn't that an interesting perspective? The next one is Jesus being crucified. That's the single greatest event that's ever happened in the history of the world, just there. What was accomplished? We'll go through it tonight. What was accomplished because of this is amazing. And the last one, even, yeah, he's no longer there. He has risen from the dead. So tonight, I want to focus on two things. Two things that come out of this Easter story. Two things that are absolutely unique to Christianity. Compared to any other religion in the world, they don't hold anything on us on these two things. These two things are the work of the cross and the power of the cross. The work of the cross and the power of the cross. So we'll start with the work of the cross. You can put up that next slide. We Christians use a lot of fancy words. Like it's often called Christianese. It's hard stuff to understand, but most of these words explain a really essential biblical truth, something that um, is important for us Christians to understand, and atonement is one of those. This is the work of the cross. It basically means um, that Jesus paid the price for us. There was a price that had to be paid, and Jesus had to pay that price for us. I've lost my place. Yeah, it just, yeah, we've been reconciled in our relationship to God that God himself through his own works made a way for salvation to come to us God came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus he lived a perfect life then um, sacrificed himself for our wrongdoing, our sin it was all done through Jesus it's no work of our own there was nothing that we could do to get rid of our sin it was only through the work of Jesus on that cross it says in 1 John 2.2 2, that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. It's only through what Jesus did on that cross that um, gets us reconciled with God. Do you know that every other religion is a works-based religion? Every other religion is a works-based religion. You can throw up that next slide. So in Islam... One of the stages of death after you die is you're going to be ju judged, I believe, before Allah on the scales. And it's about your deeds, what you've done in this life. That's the thing that's going to cause you to get your reward in heaven or, or no reward. Um, Hinduism and Buddhism are similar in that they both believe in karma. What you do in this life will influence where you go in your, in your next life. It's all about your workings. It's all about what you do. But Christianity is not like that at all. It's nothing that we can do. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, Jesus said in Isaiah. You know, there's nothing that we can do on our part other than accept what Jesus did for us. To come before him, to repent of our sins and our wrongdoing, recognising that we can't do it on our own and following Jesus. No other religion on this earth can give you that. No other religion had God himself come down and take our place. It is truly an amazing thing. I was thinking as I was doing this, this is why I put the pen here, that if I got this bit of paper, if I handed everyone a bit of paper, 
and I said to you, write down all the sins that you can remember, you know, on this bit of paper. Yeah, I know, that's the thing, like, there's, there's so much. It's, it's all the stuff like, you know, the Ten Commandments, you know, the um, murder, steal, um, Lord, use the Lord's name in vain. There's all stuff that we do every day, but it's not only that stuff. Jesus, he raised the bar. He said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you um, hold something against your brother, it's like committing murder in your heart. So it's not only the stuff that we do, it's the stuff that we think. It's our attitudes and that, that we have as well. And then there's also the stuff that we don't do that we should do. There are so many sins, conscious and unconscious, that we do every day that get in the way. Sin is um, it's, it's not only the wrongdoing. It's anything that gets in the way, interferes with our relationship to God. All of that stuff is sin. And what Jesus did was he took it. Oh. I, I like practical demonstrations, so we'll see how this works. Eh? See how this cross can hold. This is my sin, nailed to that cross. That's what Jesus did. He's taken it off me, and he took it on that cross for us. You know, you can put up that next picture. I really like that. Oh, oh yeah, this is a, I forgot to say this. I love this saying. I came across it while I was doing it. It's not what you know, it's not what you do, but it's who you know in, in Christianity. It's only through Jesus. If you just go to the next one, it will show the cross with the stuff nailed to it. And For me, it was just a powerful picture of what we have in the cross. Jesus took our sin off us. When you, when you live with your sin, when it stays with you, there are consequences every day for that sin. Even if you don't know it, that sin affects you in every part of your life. And what the cross has done is it's taken that off us through what Jesus did and now we are reconciled to our God and we can be in a right relationship with him. It's, it's only through the cross. It's only through the cross. That is the work of the cross. And we as Christians, I know it's a basic tenet of the Christian faith, but I think it's a, a necessary reminder that we have to look at regularly. I think that's what communion really is. Like it's a, for us here, a weekly reminder of the work of the cross. God wants us to keep coming back because when we understand that, we can have a freedom um, from our sins and we can do the, live the life that God wants us to live. And the next thing I want to talk about is the second part of that, the power of the cross. The power of the cross. And the power of the cross is the resurrection. And again, this is something that is different about Christianity than all other faiths and religions. And it's so important to our gospel message. Without the resurrection... As Paul says, our message would be useless. If there is no resurrection, our message would be useless. And we'll read that in 1 Corinthians 15 soon when my wonderful daughter will come up and read much of 1 Corinthians 15 for us. You see that Christ was raised from the dead. No other religious figure has ever conquered death like Jesus did. Muhammad is dead and buried. You can put up that next slide. Muhammad is, is dead and buried. And, and this is his tomb in Saudi Arabia under the green dome. You can go and visit that still today. On this side, this is the ashes of Buddha. When he died, he was cremated and his ashes were given to the different um, groups of believers that were following him at the time. And in China, you can still go there today and see these vessels that hold his ashes and fragments of his bone. These guys did great things and had good teachings and, and can teach you some great things about life, but they did not conquer death. Jesus was the only one who has conquered death. <clears throat> I just want to read a few names to you now. Have any of you heard of Gilbert West? 
George Littleton, no? Frank Morrison maybe, a few might have heard of Frank Morrison, Simon Greenleaf, and a, an easy one at the end, Josh McDowell, there'd be a few people that recognise that name. Each of these people set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can fl- flick up the next slide, this is the first two, Gilbert West, and this is the book written by Littleton. Gilbert West was an Oxford student, he set out to debunk the resurrection but it instead was converted and he wrote a book about it called Observations on the History and Evidences of the um, Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Likewise, George Littleton, he set out to prove that Paul was not converted at all, but instead he became convinced of Paul's conversion and of Christ's resurrection and he wrote a book called The Conversion and Apostleship of St. Paul. Frank Morrison was a lawyer and he was deeply affected by the scepticism and, and Darwinian evolution around the, it was in the 1900s, the next slide, around the 1900s. So he wanted to write a book disproving, debunking the resurrection. And again, he got converted. And he wrote a book that's still in print today called Who Moved the Stone? Who Moved the Stone? Simon Greenleaf. This is a... This is someone Paul might know. Have you ever heard of this guy? Simon Greenleaf was a celebrated law professor who wrote the definitive book on evidence. His treatise on the law of evidence is still considered the greatest single authority on evidence in the entire literature of the legal profession. He was a law professor and he set out to disprove the resurrection but instead concluded that it was a historical fact and that Jesus did rise from the dead. He wrote an examination of the testimony of the four evangelists using his rules of evidence that he administers in the courts of justice. And he he became convinced again. And Josh McDowell, many of you might know his story. You can go to him. He was at university and he noticed something different about these Christians who were on the campus compared to the students and the teachers. No one could answer his questions. But these guys, they had something different than anyone else. And he asked them, you know, what's different about you? And they said, Jesus. But he just scoffed at them and dismissed them and goes, I'm not into that religion stuff. But thankfully, they were um, strong in their faith and they said, we don't like religion either, but we love Jesus. And they challenged him to write, um, challenged him to disprove Christianity. And this is what Josh said. I decided to write a book that would make an intellectual joke of Christianity. I left the university and travelled throughout the US and Europe to gather evidence to prove that Christianity is a sham. But instead, he gave his life to God and wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. If you want someone to become a Christian, get them to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because uh, it's in the resurrection that is the power of the gospel story. And I'm going to get my daughter to take over for a little bit. She's going to read. So if you've got your Bibles there or your apps or whatever you like to use... Sarah's going to come up and read 1 Corinthians 15. This is Paul's um, definitive teaching on, on the resurrection. It's a whole chapter dedicated to it. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but Sarah's going to start at verse 1 and she'll tell you when to change. Yep, awesome. I'm going to get a drink of water. So 1 Corinthians 15, starting from verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you take your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I have passed on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he raised from the de- that he rose from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me, Paul, also, as to one abnormally born. And then you go down to verse twelve. But, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did... But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, who have, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be of all people most pitied. But Christ has indeed raised from the de- rose from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And then down to verse 30. As for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face d- death every day, yes. Just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And then you go down to verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at that last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will, have, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then this saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Excellent job. Yeah, so much good biblical truth in that teaching of Paul. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Don't you just love that verse? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where is the sting of death in the light of the resurrection? It's been taken away from us. There's this story of a man and his son travelling in a car down the highway when they suddenly notice that there's a bee in the car with them. The dad can't pull over because they're travelling on a highway, it's too fast. And he notices his son becoming extremely agitated and scared as the bee is flying around in the car because the boy is deathly allergic to bees. He gets anaphylaxis if he's stung. It will kill him. The father saw the boy getting more and more panicked. So he reached out and grabbed the bee in his hand. After a few seconds, he just lets it go 
and it flies to the back of the car. The boy's still really panicked and concerned and he asks his father, why? Why did you let it go? But the father showed his son his hand and said, there's the sting, my boy. It's in my hand. You have nothing to fear now. And that is how it is with us. Jesus has taken that sting of death. There's nothing for us to fear. We can, we're all going to die. That's a, a fact of life. Each of us are going to stand before God on a judgment day. But the, the fear of death is gone now because Jesus has taken that sting on the cross so many years ago. And that's the power of the cross. You can have a new life that starts when we accept Jesus. We recognise our insufficiency to do it on our own. We can turn from our sin and follow him. There is power in that life of Christ. Do you remember as we went through that Easter story at the start about the disciples and the followers of Jesus and how they acted um, as Jesus was betrayed and crucified from the garden onwards? How did they act? They acted out of fear and out of disbelief. They still had this expectation in their heads that Jesus was going to be this triumphant king right there and then. They didn't really get it. Even after three years, they still didn't understand how Peter could go from, Jesus, I'm going to die with you, to within hours denying him in front of a slave girl in a fire. That they were scared, <clears throat> so they would hide behind locked doors. None of them sort of knew what was going to happen next or if they were going to be safe or if they were going to be dragged off and crucified along with Jesus. And it would have been a horrible scene watching their friend, their teacher, go through all that stuff that he did. But that was Saturday. That was the day when everything was uncertain. But on the Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead and the living resurrection power. How are you living your Christian life? Are you living your Christian life in the Saturday without understanding the power of the resurrection? Or have you moved into the understanding the resurrection and being a Christian who lives the life that come after the resurrection. I just want to finish with a bit of a story tonight. If the band want to start coming up and getting themselves ready, I want to tell you a story about a vase. I borrowed this one from the op shop, Betty. I hope that's okay. I will return it. This is not the vase I'm talking about. The vase of this story is a very beautiful crystal vase, a perfect, perfect vase, extremely expensive. It was given to a man with a promise of a great reward. If you look after this vase until I return, if you keep it pure and perfect with no spots or blemishes or breaks, then I will give you a great reward. The man went away and left his vase with the other gentleman and returned after some time to go get his vase. The man who was looking after it gave it back to him and he asked for his reward. But the man said, there's a spot, there's a blemish on this vase now. I can't give you your, your reward. But the man replied, it's only a small blemish. It's only a little thing. You can turn it around and have it against the wall. People won't even see it. But the man said to him, I said to you that I will give you your reward if that vase is absolutely perfect. And that is how it is with our lives. If you've done one sin, if you had one thing written on your paper, if I gave you that paper, do you write down your sins? Even if you only committed one sin, God is a perfect God, a perfect being, and he cannot live with even one spot or blemish before him because it's against his nature. 
For most of us, maybe the vase is cracked or damaged or chipped. For some of us, maybe we've dropped our vase and it's a broken, shattered mess on the ground. But the beautiful thing about the story of Jesus is it doesn't have to be like that anymore. There is power in the cross. There is power in the cross. You can be restored in your relationship to Jesus because of what was accomplished on that cross. So as we sing this last song, if you feel that you want to come forward and have some prayer, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, that's the most important decision you can make in your life. If you're someone who's sort of lost sight of where your faith is, if you're living in that Saturday part of your Christian journey rather than in the resurrection on the Sunday, come forward and give your life back to God. Come before him, repent of your sins and have a prayer and get right with God.